0: Well, I want to take a moment to welcome those joining us from Calvary, Quakertown. It's good to have you with us this morning. Uh, we finished our series called The Prequel last week, and we've got Easter coming up in a couple of weeks. So I'm sure you're sitting on the edge of your seats wondering, well, what are we going to talk about today? Or you're at least thinking, I hope it's going to be short today. Um, yeah, well, maybe one of those will be right. So here's my question. What do we call that time of year between Mardi Gras or Donut Day, depending on your preference, and Easter. What do we call that season? Anybody? That's Lent. That's Lent. Not Lent, that's something you get in your belly button later, but Lent. Lent. Now, when actually is Lent? That, that's what we're going to talk about today. And for those of you that, you know, really kind of focus on the Bible, you're probably asking, well, Charlie, where does Lent show up in the Bible? It doesn't show up in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. But Lent kind of makes sense. Lent is part of the Christian calendar. And let me just tell you how the Christian calendar works. We don't follow the Christian calendar here at Calvary Church. There's nothing wrong if you do, nothing really good if you don't. It's kind of the same deal. But it kind of makes sense. Here's what the Christian calendar is. The Christian calendar is the life of Jesus lived over and over and over and over again. So every year in the Christian calendar, you walk through the life of Jesus. And and that's a good thing since the Bible has a point and a purpose. Jesus is the point and a purpose. Well, as you go through the year in a Christian calendar, you're going through the life of Jesus every year. And here's how it works. Christmas is one highlight of the year. But the Christian calendar doesn't begin with Christmas. It begins with the period of preparation before Christmas. And that preparation period is called Advent. And so in Advent, we anticipate, we hope, and then the joy of Christmas comes. So the big celebration of Christmas is preceded with a period of preparation called Advent. Well, the next big event in the Christian calendar is Easter. And just like Christmas, they put a preparation period before the big event. And the preparation period before Easter is called Lent. So you've got Advent and Christmas, you've got Lent and Easter. Now, for some of you that grew up in a, in a church um, that practiced Lent, it probably began with Ash Wednesday. And if you remember, right after Donut Day, you'd go the next morning or during the day to church, and a priest would smear ashes on your head, and here's essentially what the priest says. You're going to die. I'm not lying right from ashes to ashes dust to dust in other words you're going to die it's a happy season Lent right you're going to it begins with you're going to die Um, and then you've got this whole season well what happens during the season there's reflection as you think about not the good things you think about the bad things think of it like this why are we going to die well, the Bible tells us we're going to die because we've rebelled against God. And rather than live in ways that lead to life, we live in ways that lead to death. You rebel against God. That's the way of death. And so the season begins by saying, you're going to die. And then it leads up to Good Friday, where Jesus dies in our place. And so for 40 days, all during Lent, you're kind of looking inside you're doing evaluation you're doing assessment dredging up all the junk inside of you all the reasons that cause you go, that cause you to die and then on good friday the surprise of surprise jesus says i'll die for you and then on easter sunday jesus says i'm back forever god has forgiven all of your sins so it's kind of a good thing now we didn't think you all would be able to take lent for six weeks so we're going to do Lent in twenty minutes, all right? Uh, but we're, if this is going to work, you just can't sit there and learn about Lent. You need to practice Lent. So we are going to practice Lent for the next twenty minutes. You've got to participate. You may you need your phone. You can write stuff. You need a piece of paper. If we're going to do it, if it's going to work, you're going to have to participate. Don't just sit there like, I'm not participating. Okay, well, it's not going to do any good. You'll leave the same way you came in. Um, But other people are going to really be changed by this. What is Lent? Reflection and repentance. That's why Lent is often a time when people abstain or fast from things. Because we live in a world of distractions, right? And so Lent is all about, hey, let's get rid of some distractions So we can focus on the junk inside of us. Boy, that's a good thought, right? That's why we're only doing 20 minutes, not 40 days. 20 minutes, 15 of which is going to be focusing on the junk inside of you. And some of you got a pile of it, by the way. So 20 minutes is going to be pretty painful. Here we go. We're going to do that by looking at Psalm 139. So if you have your phone, your tablet, your Bible, turn to Psalm 139. And while you're finding that, let me tell you, Psalm 139 is David's reflective experience. You see, David is king of Israel. And David took seriously and was pretty humbled by the fact that he, w- he had the responsibility to protect his people from enemies. He also had the responsibility to serve and provide for his people. He's got to protect them and provide for them. And he was overwhelmed by that. He was so overwhelmed that he said, you know what, I need to regularly assess and evaluate the obstacles and the junks in, junk inside of me so that i'm able to do those things well psalm 139 is a really good example where david reflects looks inside to say lord what obstacles exist hindrances exist inside of me i want to get rid of them so i can be the best that i can be with your help we'll follow along as i read psalm 139. david writes you have searched me lord All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We're going to kind of follow David's prescription there. And we're going to do that Lenten process by asking God to search us and do inventory inside of us. Those verses that end the psalm are the verses we're going to use. So here we go. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's kind of interesting. David begins the psalm by saying, Lord, you know everything that there is to know about me. You know where I go, when I sit up, when I get there, I can't escape you. You know everything. And then at the end he says, but Lord, I want you to search me. Not because God needs to find out stuff he doesn't know. God, David wants God to search him so that he will bring to David's attention what his fears, his offenses, and his worries are. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to do three inventories this morning. So you need a piece of paper, you need a tablet, you need a phone, you need something. Because if this is going to be not just information, it's actually going to be process, you're going to have to keep track. Inventory number one is a fear inventory. What does David say? See if there is any anxious way in me. I don't even have to ask you. I know you all have fears. You're afraid of something, someone, a situation. You can probably find this in a lot of books. You can Google it and find it out. What are the top fears that human beings have? Fear number one, the fear of public speaking. Fear number two, the fear of death. Fear number three, the fear of death while public speaking. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of fear that one. If I if well, some of you think, yeah, but Charles, then we get out early. <laughs> all right. So, but we all have fear. Maybe your fear is not one of those, but I know you have fears, and it would be plural, not singular, right? Some of you are afraid of losing your job? Afraid of running out of money? Afraid of not getting a job? Afraid of not getting grades you need to get into the college you want? Maybe you're afraid of the person sitting next to you. You're afraid of your your reputation being destroyed. You're afraid of being found out. You're afraid of being caught. You're afraid that what you're trying to hide is going to be made known. We all have fears, right? Fear of heights, fear of snakes. We all have fears. David says, I need to take inventory of my fears because the more I fear, the less I'm trusting God, right? If you're really afraid of all this stuff, that means you don't believe that God is your all-powerful, loving, heavenly Father. And so David says, as king, I face a lot of fears. I fear the enemies are going to attack, and I'm not going to have the strength to be able to defeat them or fend them off. I fear that I'm not going to be able to provide for my people. I fear that maybe I'll lose my sanity. I David had lots of fears, and so do we. What do you fear? Do you fear rejection? you fear a bad report from the doctor? Cancer? What are your fears? Your fears tell us something significant about what's going on inside of you. We need to regularly do a fear inventory. Some of you right now are really afraid that if you wrote it down, the person next to you would see what you wrote. That's why some of you didn't write it down or type it into your phone. I'm going to keep mental note of this uh, because I don't want anybody to know. But we all have fears. God, that's the first inventory. Now, if you don't have anything on your list, you're just lying. But if we're going to practice Lent and get to the joyful conclusion, you've got to list your fears. Well, the second inventory we need to take is an offensive way inventory. Do you notice what David said? See if there is any offensive way in me. And I can tell by looking, a whole lot of you, you're just offensive. So you're going to have a long list of things. Well, you're probably sitting, yeah, but what does it mean to be offensive? Well, think think of it like this. When a team is on offense, what is the team trying to do? The team on offense is intent on imposing its will on the other team. Isn't that right? If the football team is on offense, they want to come up with plays that will succeed against a particular defense. They want to impose their will on the defense. So when you want to impose your will on someone else, that is being offensive. When you want to impose your agenda, your schedule, your wants, your likes, your dislikes what you're going to do with your energy how you're going to do your vacation what how church should be done for you when you impose your will that's being offensive but the point of the psalm isn't really just being offensive with other people the point of the psalm is do we treat god that way that's why right before we get to verses 23 and 24 search me oh god right before that you wonder why does david talk about his enemies lord he's not talking about his enemies He's talking about God's enemies. And what does he say? Lord, there are evil people out there. And they are offensive. They're imposing their agenda on you, God. And David says, I don't want to be like that. So, Lord, search me, test me, see if there are anxieties, if there are offensive ways in me, because I don't want to be like those that impose their will on you. So rather than imposing our will offensively on God, we should be submitting to God's will. Radically different, right? It's kind of interesting if you read um, the end of Ephesians 4. The end of Ephesians 4 has this long list of individual sins. If you think about it, those sins are kind of like tactics. They are offensive tactics. They're ways that we impose our will and what we want on other people. So let me read to you some of the items in the list and look at them from that offensive perspective. Falsehood and telling lies. Why do we lie? To impose our will. Anger. Why do we power up and get angry? Often to impose our will, right? If we get real angry, other people will back down. Stealing to get what we want, impose our will. Unwholesome talk to fit in and impose our will. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, gossip. Why do we do those things? They are offensive tactics to impose our will on a situation or on others. Uh, I was flipping, flipping through the stations last night because I couldn't find anything good on, and I came across Philadelphia parking wars. Have Ever seen this show? Uh, I know one thing. I never want to work for the Philadelphia Parking Authority. It's a wonder those people aren't murdered most days. Uh, But here's what I notice in watching the show. Everybody lies, right? I didn't see the sign. You parked in front of the sign. You tripped over the sign. Here was one guy last night said, I just got back from traffic court. I paid all the tickets. The guy's been in his house for two days. He wasn't in traffic court. Why is he doing that? He's telling falsehoods. He's getting angry offensively to impose his will but we do the same thing, right? I don't know what your favorite tactics are, but I do know this. Our lives are filled with offensive ways, right? And we, we are offensive to impose our will and accomplish our objectives. When I was a kid, uh, most of you know I grew up in Philadelphia, and uh, we used to, I had a group of friends that I hung around with, and we were very competitive, this group, And one of the most exciting times for those of us uh, young guys was when they were building 95. Uh, 95 kind of went right through my neighborhood growing up. So if you ride 95 south and you go past the Girard Avenue exit, that's where Kim and I grew up. And as they were putting 95 in, they had giant piles of dirt. And that was a lot of fun for a group of kids, let me tell you. Um, and so we would go and play in the dirt my mother hated that the doctors loved that by the way and uh, one of the things that we would play on the dirt is king of the hill play king of the hill and these were giant i mean they were taller than the ceiling the dirt. and what, what's the point of king of the hill we'd all race to the top clawing backstabbing pulling each other down pushing each other down doing whatever we can so we could stand at the top of the dirt pile and declare ourselves king of the hill And that was really good practice for school and athletics and work and college because that's how it often functions, right? You know what that's all about? Offensive ways. What does God say? Here's the script. God says, love me and love people. Put my will, my desires ahead of your own and other peoples ahead of your own. What do we do? We are offensive, saying, no, 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 it's my hill. And we clamor and backstab and push and cajole and do all those nasty offensive things, trying to get to the top of a dirt pile. Funny how some things never change, regardless of age. Offensive ways. Do you have anything on your list yet? Offensive tactics, offensive motivation, offensive strategy, an anxiety inventory, and offensive way inventory. Well, David gives us one more inventory, a heart inventory. In fact, David leads with this one, but I'm doing it last. What's the uh, heart inventory? Search me, O God, and know my heart. That's not because he doesn't think God knows it. It's because David says, Lord, search my heart, test it, and show me what's in my heart. Because whatever we treasure in our heart, all that offensive stuff, our anxieties, we like to hide all of that, don't we? And we're really good at pretending and hiding. So God, David says, God, search me and show me. Here's my guess. Most of you very carefully pick out your clothing that makes you look good. Now maybe you need to try again. But you get the point, right? <laughs> we, we pick clothing that's flattering to us, right? You don't pick clothing that's flattering and you look gross in it, right? Why? Because we're almost hardwired to hide we're hardwired to hide those things that we don't want people to see and then we extrapolate from that and we try to hide those things from god don't you often do that you ever break something and try to hide the pieces of it so nobody will know Uh, i remember uh, growing up my, my father had a coffee mug that he got when he was in the service and he he drank his coffee always from this mug. Well, one day, I wanted to drink out of the mug. I dropped it and shattered it on the kitchen floor. The only time I've ever done this. I cleaned it all up, and I took the trash out. Out of the kitchen, into the trash can, in the yard. What was I doing? I was hiding. I didn't want to be found. Do You ever play those games? What's David saying? Lord, I need you to search me. Search my heart. I need you to search that place inside of me where I value and where I treasure and where I have my priorities. We talked about that last week. You see, it's out of your heart that your anxieties grow. It's out of your heart that your offenses grow. That's, it's in your heart. So if you're valuing and honoring something other than God in your heart, it's going to produce anxiety. If you really, really value X, and you fear that you're going to lose X, you'll be worried that you're going to lose X. Here's the solution. You can't lose Jesus. You don't have to worry. But if you're trying to hold on to something else, Your life's going to be lived in anxiety. And then in order to keep it and protect it and get more of it, you will become offensive and you'll do offensive tactics in order to protect and get and keep what you think is most valuable and precious to you. At the end of the day, it's really a heart problem more than it is a fear or an offensive way problem. So David says, Lord, search me. No what's in my heart. And an easy way to do that, let's take a fear inventory. Let's take an offensive way inventory. And here's the point. If you have anything on your fear list and anything on your offensive way list, you've got a heart problem. Because if our hearts were holding the right thing, you'd be producing a good harvest. If you're producing a fear offensive way harvest, that means you're holding some of the wrong stuff in your heart. All right, so let's close in prayer. How was that? Was that good Lent? Uh, No, no, we're not done yet though, right? We're not done. After we uh, do some reflection, where do we go from there? Like, what are we supposed to do once we reflect and kind of bring up that stuff? What do we do once we have a fear inventory and once we have an offensive way, and once we got a heart inventory, what do we do with that stuff? Well, I'm glad you asked. The Apostle John must have reflected on that an awful lot because he tells us what to do with all that junk that we have. How do we renovate? How do we restore? How do we bring change inside of us? Well, he gives us the process in 1 John. So let me read a few verses from 1 John. John writes, Now, think of all that stuff you've dredged up, right? It's been pretty painful so far, and now we're moving to the good. That's the bad news. Now we're moving to the good news. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. I'm not much of a dancer, but if you ever watched dancing with the stars or you watch ballroom dancing or something like that you'll notice that every dance kind of has a pattern they all look alike if i do them but they have a pattern that's rather distinct well the forgiveness or the gospel dance has a pattern and we're going to walk through the four steps of the gospel dance so once you've dredged up that stuff through through reflection you've kind of looked within done your inventories what's the next step Well here are the four steps right in those verses. Step number one, admission, admission. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. If we say we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar. It's time to give up the hiding. We started this morning with the song right, it's me. Well, you need to come clean and say, Lord, this is me. This is what I'm valuing in my heart. These are the things that I'm really afraid of. These are the offensive tactics that I often put into play. Lord, here I am in all of my mess. This is me. Um, That's the first step. If you don't take that step, you can't do the dance. It starts with admission. The dance doesn't begin with denial. The The dance doesn't begin with deceit. The dance doesn't begin with pretending. The dance doesn't begin with saying, well, God, you're a liar. The dance begins by saying, yeah, God's right. I've got a problem. I've got a fear inventory full of items. I've got an offensive way inventory. I can't even count the items. And that shows that I got a bunch of stuff in my heart that I'm valuing more than I'm valuing Jesus. You've got a problem. That's the admissions part. But after admission comes confession. That's step two. So the first step is admit, and that's the hardest one. You've got to admit you're doing it, right? Lord, this is me. But then the next step is: and Lord, I agree with you that this is out of bounds you know what you're doing this is wrong this is rebellion this is a lack of faith this is a lack of trust i'm loving these things more than i'm loving you i'm fearing them more than i'm fearing you see how that works admission this is me but then the next step is and what i'm doing is wrong confession does not mean just kind of telling god all this stuff because he doesn't know he knows it already that's what the beginning of psalm 139 says confession is agreeing with god that all this stuff is out of bounds and it's this stuff that brings death to the world and to you. That's what Lent helps us figure out. So you got admission and confession. Now, the third one's kind of a, a big fancy word, but it's a word we all need to learn. It's the word absolution. Not absolute, that's something else, but absolution. If you grew up in a church that... Um, does good friday with the with the ashes and then kind of good you know or does ash wednesday and good you practice all that you also had absolution in the service and here's how absolution functions in a a church service that is liturgical absolution actually begins with prayers of confession so let me ask you who prays the prayers of confession who prays for them Who, who who prays them the congregation I can tell by looking, you all have a bunch of junk you need to confess, right? And so the prayers of confession are usually written out for you, and they kind of say, and Lord, our hearts have been unfaithful to you, and Lord, our lists are full. We've got fears coming out the wazoo. You don't say it like that in, you know, liturgical, but you know what I'm saying. And, and we've got all this offensive stuff in our, you come, that's a prayer of confession. The words of absolution are then spoken by the priest, and the priest says something like this. On the basis of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. That's absolution. Absolution means words of forgiveness. Don't you need to hear those? Look, I'll shoot straight. I got a long fear list. I got an even longer offensive way list, and I don't need any input from you. And I've got a whole long list of things that I tend to trust more than I trust God. So I got long I need to hear words of absolution that say, Charles, On the basis of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Because in my heart, I tend to hear these voices. You ever hear these voices? You did what again? You expect me to forgive you again? The same stupid thing over and over. Look, you only get three strikes in baseball, Charles. How many strikes do you think I'm going to give you? But that's not the gospel. The gospel is, I see your list. But on the basis of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you are forgiven. Don't you need to hear that? I need to hear that. Um, I speak at conferences every once in a while, and one of the big advantages of doing that is I I get to hear other preachers preach, and some of them are good, by the way. I never invite them here, but some of them are good. (laughs) And I remember a couple years ago hearing the guy say this. He said, there was a woman that came up after the service, And she said, Pastor, 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 um, I'm not sure what to do with this, but every time I pray, Jesus appears. And he says, like, what? Yeah, I see him. He walks into my room. He comes over and says, yes, my daughter. And the pastor's not believing her, right? So the pastor says, okay, well, well, let's do a little test here. Here's the test. The next time you're praying and Jesus appears, ha-ha, why don't you say, hey, Jesus, by the way, what sins did my pastor confess this week that guy's got a lot more guts than i have by the way but he tells the girl and it shows she leaves she comes back next week and she comes running up pastor pastor and he says well did jesus appear yes he did did you ask him my question yes he did okay describe it to me i was praying pastor jesus showed up with my eyes there he was standing before me and she said jesus my pastor asked me to ask you a question and the question is what sins did my pastor confess this week And the pastor, kind of nervously at this point, said, what did he say? And she said, Jesus looked right at me and said, I forget. That's good, right? That's absolution. Admission, confession, absolution, forgiven. Now, here's the problem. A whole lot of church people, lots of Christians, think this is a three-step dance. But it's not a three-step dance. I mean, they're really good steps, right? I mean, the first two really hurt admission, confession. Really good news in the absolution thing, right? And we're gonna talk a lot about that, right? Good Friday, Easter, we're gonna get there. Invite your friends to all. But, but it's not a three step dance, it's a four step dance. If you make it a three step dance, we're in a world of trouble. Here are the steps admission, confession, absolution, and mission. Mission. We don't sit now and just kind of soak and enjoy from absolution to the end. We are now propelled into mission. We are to go speaking and living that message in the context in which God puts us. We live that in our families, live that in our marriages, live that in our workplaces, live that message in our communities, live that message in the church and outside the church. We need to be living that message and speaking that message. This isn't a three-step, it's a four-step dance. And if we're going to make it a three-step dance, we might as well shut down now because we're just going to sit and soak. This is a four-step dance. And the fourth step is that we're sent to speak and to live that message. Okay, so you've got homework. Actually, it's homework for the rest of your life, but I'm just going to make it homework for two weeks. At the end of two weeks, we'll ratchet it up a little more. But here's your homework for the next two weeks. Since the fourth step of the dance is mission, our assignment, myself included, our assignment is to love and serve someone specifically every single day for the next two weeks. And you may think, well, Charles, I, I, I don't know how to do it. Okay, every morning you get up and say, Lord, I've got an assignment today. I've got to love and serve someone today. Show me who that. Now, remember, if you're going to love and serve somebody, that means you're going to take your priorities, your agenda, your schedule, and you're going to put that on the back burner because when you're serving someone else, you're putting their preferences and wants ahead of yours. Every one of us, love and serve somebody, concrete, specific, every day for the next two weeks. All right? Our context will be radically different if we do this, by the way. Love and... That's first assignment. Second assignment I've already mentioned to you, but I'm going to remind you because some of you forgot already. Second assignment is... Love and serve somebody each day. Love and invite someone to our Easter service every day between now and Easter. That really is the mission. We're going to try to make it as clear and relevant as we can. We're going to tie the pieces together. What is this gospel dance that we're supposed to do? Love and serve somebody specifically every day for the next two weeks. Love and invite someone every day for the next two weeks. If we do, I think we'll be different. Calvary Church may be different, too. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this process. And whether or not we follow the process at a certain time of year that's called Lent, or whether we just do this dance each day, admission, confession, hearing words of absolution, and hearing you send us out in mission, I pray lord that those steps that dance would grip our hearts and lives and propel us into action every day jesus thanks for collecting all of our fears all of our offenses all of our idols placing them all on your shoulders and paying the dead on the day we call good friday and thank you father for giving us the receipt of forgiveness that first easter morning We pray in the name of Jesus, our gospel. Amen.